0: Good morning again. Our scripture reading for this morning comes from the book of Matthew, chapter 1. If you could go ahead and turn there with me. If you, if you don't have a Bible, there should be some Bibles on the back table. And uh, if you uh, don't have a Bible, even at home, you, you should feel free not only to take one of those to use for the service, but to take it and write your name in it and take it home and, and uh, use it and bring it back week after week as we study God's Word together before we read Matthew chapter 1, uh, please pray with me. Our Father, we, we come before you to hear your word. <clears throat> we, be, we come because uh, we know that we, we need it. Uh, we need your word. Uh, Jesus said, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And so we come uh, to your word to find life. And yet we know that the scriptures are are all about your son. And so we come to hear about him. Uh, We come to hear about Jesus. We come to hear about the gospel. We come to hear about the good news. And we pray, Father, that you would speak your good news to our hearts this morning. That you would open our hearts and open our minds and open our eyes and our ears. uh, That we would understand and that we would believe. That we would put our faith more fully in your son, Jesus. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Ram the father of Aminadab, and Aminadab the father of nashon and nashon the father of Salmon, and Salmon the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David, the king. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah, and Solomon the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam the father of Abijah, and Abijah the father of Asaph, and Asaph the father of Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat the father of Joram, and Joram the father of Uzziah. And Uzziah, the father of Jotham, and Jotham, the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah, and Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh, and Manasseh, the father of Amos, and Amos, the father of Josiah, and Josiah, the father of Jeconiah, and his brothers, at the time of the deportation to Babylon. And after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, and Shealtiel, the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel, the father of Abiud, and Abiud, the father of Eliakim, and Eliakim, the father of Azor. Nazor the father of Zadok, and Zadok the father of Achim, and Achim the father of Eliud, and Eliad, and Eliud the father of Eleazar, and Eleazar the father of Mathan, and Mathan the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. So all the generations from Abraham to David were fourteen generations, and from David to the deportation to Babylon, fourteen generations, and from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, Fourteen generations. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. The book of Matthew is about one person, and it's not about you or me. It's not about how we can be happy. It's not about moral principles for living. Those things may be there, but they are coincidental or secondary. They're not the main point. Uh, It's too easy to read the Bible and uh, only to look for stuff that will help me or even to find only a list of do's and don'ts. But if we do that, we miss the point of the story. Matthew is a story about one person. This is true of the whole Bible, of course, uh, but Matthew as a gospel focuses on the period of time uh, around Jesus' incarnation, his life, his death, and his resurrection. This is the story of Jesus. Now we might ask the question, why is this story of Jesus worth our attention? Why is it worth our time to, to, take, to come here week after week to study the story of Jesus? And that's a good question. I mean, so many things vie for our attention, don't they? We have our, our families and our jobs and, and uh, studying for the next exam. There, there's world politics and global, global crises. Uh, there's the third Hunger Games movie coming out. There's email and there's Facebook and there's text messages and there's tweets. Why should I give my attention to Jesus? Well, the answer of Matthew chapter 1 is because of who Jesus is and what that means for all people. We're going to look at Matthew chapter 1 this morning and see a number of things about Jesus with, with profound implications for all people everywhere. Now these themes that we're going to look at, they're introduced in chapter 1, and then they're really expounded throughout the book of Matthew. Uh, so we're not going to say everything there is to say about these things, but we're just going to introduce them the way Matthew does. Giving little hints, really, of what the whole book is going to be about as we study it uh, through the next couple of weeks. Well there, there are six things we're going to look at uh, about Jesus story that make it worth our time that, that call for our attention. Uh, you, you can see it in your bulletin, there's an outline there. Uh, six things. First Jesus story, story we're going to look at is, is really about all people. Second, Jesus comes to bring God's blessing. Third, He comes to bring God's rule. Fourth, Jesus comes to bring God's presence. Fifth, he comes to bring God's salvation. And then finally, we'll see Jesus comes to bring God's rest. Now, we could have just said, well, this story is really about God's work. And so uh, that alone commands our attention, right? If, if God is doing something in the world, we should sit up and listen. And yet there's more than that. And that's what we're going we're to look at this morning. First, Jesus' story is about all people. Uh, Matthew begins this story in a very Jewish way. He begins with a genealogy, which if you read the Old Testament, you see that's a very Jewish thing to do. He he, he introduces Jesus right in the beginning as the son of David, the son of Abraham. Uh, Abraham and David are great heroes uh, of the nation of Israel. Abraham was the one to whom all the promises were given right from the start. Uh, David, of course, is the great king. Right The original anointed one or Messiah or Christ. And yet Matthew then uh, just as quickly shows that this story, while it's it's about it, uh, it's, it's not just about the Jews, right? It's not just about the nation of Israel, but it's about Gentiles as well. Uh, you'll notice as you look through this genealogy that there are four women uh, listed in Jesus genealogy: Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, and the wife of Uriah. Now that in In and of itself is a a bit odd for that day that that Matthew would include women in the genealogy, but it's even odder that all of these women are Gentiles. None of them are Jewish. None of them are Israelites by birth. So so why include these women and and why include specifically Gentile women in the genealogy? Well, the scriptures have always moved toward giving uh, an equal dignity to women alongside men right Uh, god created man male and female after his image matthew is no different Uh, women have a role in this story of jesus not just men it's not just about guys Uh, and later paul will say in the new testament that in christ there is no male or female and matthew is telling us the same thing by the way he tells this story but why gentile women I mean, there are four great women in Israel's history that are frequently mentioned in scripture, but they're not the women that Matthew mentions, right? I mean, he could have mentioned Sarah and Rebecca and Leah and Rachel, but he didn't do that. Those women are absent from this genealogy. He includes these four Gentile women instead. Why does he do that? Uh, Again, I think the point is to show us that who is important to Jesus' story. This is not just about men, but it's about Women as well. This is not just about Jews, but about Gentiles as well. And of course, as we read the genealogy and we think about the people included there, we find another category that jumps out at us, another group of people included. This is not just about saints, but this is about sinners. With the exceptions of, of Boaz and Ruth and Joseph, who are pretty upright people if you read their stories, everyone else in this list is suspect. I mean, this list is full of of murderers and adulterers, uh, prostitutes, polygamists, occultists, and even baby killers. right? Jesus' family is full of sinners. And so male and female, Jew and Gentile, sinner and saint, the story of Jesus is really a story for all of us. Jesus' story is a story about all people, people like you and me. Now the Bible uses the phrase, the nations, as kind of shorthand for talking about all people. And the nations have a very specific role in Jesus' story, according to Matthew. Uh, Matthew is a story, it's about Jesus, but it's a story of Jesus told in order to teach the nations, in order to teach Jews and Gentiles, uh, you and me, in order to to teach us to follow him. Matthew is calling us to respond to this story. And that's where Matthew ends. You, you may remember, we, we read uh, the last few verses of Matthew a few minutes ago. Uh, this is where the story is going, Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Uh, Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. See, Matthew wants all nations, all peoples, to learn what it means to be disciples of Jesus. That's what this story is about. Uh, to be a disciple, of course, it means to follow Jesus, right? It, it means to submit to him. It means to yield to him. It, it means to let him retrain your thinking and your practices. Uh, to be a disciple means to have our minds so shaped by who Jesus is and what he has done that we see life differently, that we see work and play and poverty and politics and love and romance that we see art and music and relationships and family, that we see all things differently than we did before because now we see them in light of Jesus, in light of what he came to do. And as a result, of course, then we will live differently in the midst of those things. Well, Jesus' story is about all people. It's about what Jesus does for Jew and Greek, for male and female, for sinner and saint. And it's about calling all people, calling the nations to become disciples of Jesus by following him. Stories about all people. It's about, it's the story of Jesus, what he came to do for the nations, uh, which then leads us to a question. What did he come to do for the nations? Well, first, Jesus comes to bring blessing. He's called right away in in, uh, Matthew, he's called the son of Abraham. Uh, now, Abraham, again, is the father of the faithful. He's the patriarch of Israel. He's the one to whom all God's promises were given. They were given to Abraham, the Bible tells us, and to his seed, or to his child. Uh, Paul tells us elsewhere that that child to whom the promises were given was actually Christ. He is the seed of Abraham. And Jesus is the son of Abraham. That's what Matthew tells us. And so all the promises that were given to Abraham ultimately come to him. They come to Jesus. Uh, we'll see this throughout the Gospel of Matthew as we read through it. Uh, there's this phrase, it's first found in Matthew 1, 22. It says, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. You see, Jesus' story is a story of fulfillment. Uh, he's the true heir of God's promises to Abraham. He's the completion of Israel's story. He's the fulfillment of everything that God has been doing from Abraham onward. And of course, one particular uh, promise to Abraham that we'll see fulfilled is God's promise to bless the nations through Abraham and his seed, which makes Jesus, of course, the the seed of Abraham, the child of Abraham, the one through whom God will bless the nations. And what this means for us is that if we want God's blessing, his favor, we look to Jesus. Jesus. God's blessing doesn't come through moral activity. It doesn't come through church attendance. It doesn't come through being spiritual. God's blessing, his favor, his love, his grace comes through his son, Jesus. Now, you might wonder why that is or or how that is or what that means. And those are all good questions. We'll answer uh, some of those maybe as we keep going today. Uh, Some of those we'll answer as we look at Matthew in the weeks to come. So you have to keep coming back if you want to know the answers. Um, but for now, the, the point is, God's blessing comes through Jesus. Jesus came to bring God's blessing. But he also comes uh, to bring God's rule. Jesus is not only the son of Abraham, but he's also the son of David. Interestingly, the genealogy actually puts this first in Matthew 1.1. It says, uh, Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. It's the first title given to Jesus, Jesus. It's also a title, as we read through the story, it's a title given to Joseph. Chapter 1, verse 20. Joseph is called Son of David by the angel. Now You might wonder why this little story after the genealogy, why is that here? Uh, Mary is betrothed to Joseph. Uh, He finds out that she's pregnant. Uh, Verse 19 is an interesting verse. Verse 19 says, And her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Joseph calls to call off or moves to call off the engagement, uh, which in that day was akin to divorce. And so he takes, he's taking what he sees as her sin seriously. He thinks Mary has committed adultery. Yet he doesn't want to put her to shame. It's interesting because Matthew uh, calls the, says that Joseph is just or righteous in this behavior. And just because Mary has committed adultery in Joseph's eyes, Uh, That doesn't mean that he needs to make a public spectacle of her sin. So he seeks to call off the engagement in a quiet way. Now, he seems to have made up his mind. And when an angel appears to him in a dream in verses 20 and 21, the angel tells Joseph uh, that the child is not born of immorality, but is from the Holy Spirit. He tells Joseph to name him Jesus. Now, the, the, the important part for us at the moment is that, is that Joseph does name him Jesus. He names him that in verse 25. Now, by, by naming him, Joseph shows that he accepts Jesus as his own son. Joseph adopts Jesus as his legal firstborn. And, and that's actually really important. It's, it's the main point of this story to show that Joseph had adopted Jesus as his own son. Why is that so important? It's important because the genealogy ends in verse 16 with Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born. Not, the way we might expect, Joseph, the father of Jesus. See, the implication is the virgin birth, of course, but if Jesus is not born of Joseph, is he really a descendant of David? Is he really next in line to be king? The genealogy takes us up to Joseph, not Mary. And so we have this little story then following it to show us that Joseph adopts Jesus as his own son. Hence, Jesus really is the son of Joseph, and so he really is the son of David. Now that seems kind of uh, like quite a bit of work to establish that Jesus is the son of David. Why is that so important? Well, it is important for Matthew because one of the key themes we're going to see in Matthew as we read on is the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is a prominent theme uh, throughout the book of Matthew. Now, David is the great king of Israel. He's the supreme example of, of what a king is supposed to be. God promised David, we read this earlier in 2 Samuel 7, God promised David that he would establish the kingdom of David's son forever. That David's descendant would sit on the throne forever and be called the son of God. Matthew is telling us that Jesus, as the son of David, means that he is the son of God. He is God's promised king. He is the one whose kingdom God is going to establish. He is the one who will sit on the throne forever. Psalm 2, if we were to look at Psalm 2, Psalm 2 adds to this that the king of Israel would be a king of the nations. That all peoples would have to follow Israel's King. What that means for us is, is that if Jesus really is God's appointed king of Israel, then Jesus is God's appointed king of the nations, which means that Jesus is God's appointed king of me and you. Now, the thing about a king is either you serve your king or you seek to overthrow him. In our country, we tend to do the latter, but, but the point is there's no neutrality Either you will serve Jesus or you will seek to overthrow his rule in your life. Either you will resent it or you will rejoice in it. Either way, his kingship is significant. Our will, our our whim is not final in our lives. The question is, will we acknowledge that or will we rebel? Now, there's another way of coming at Jesus' kinship, kingship. And that is this. Do you ever feel like the world is, is just a chaotic mess? Uh, you listen to the news or you watch the news and you think things just aren't what they should be. I mean, everyone is doing what he thinks is best and that just makes conflict worse and worse, it makes more of a mess in the world. We see on the world scene nations in conflict. We see this in politics, right, with polarized debates. We see this in our own homes. When we recognize that, when we see the world in chaos or in conflict, what we're doing is we're actually feeling our need of Jesus, Jesus who brings God's rule to restore order to the world. That's what Jesus has come to do, to put the world back together, to bring order where there's chaos. So Jesus comes to bring God's blessing and he comes to bring God's rule and he comes to bring God's presence. When the angel gives Joseph a name, uh, we we find this in verses 22 and 23. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. Now that's kind of interesting, because no one in the book of Matthew calls him Emmanuel. In fact, the angel, it says that that's not his name. His name is Jesus. The angel had just said that a, a verse or two before. And yet here we're told that they shall call his name Emmanuel. Jesus, uh, being born of the Spirit, is the Son of God. He is God come in the flesh. Uh, God's promise to David, again, was concerning David's son, was that he shall be to me a son. And maybe in some ways that was fulfilled in Solomon, but, but not like this. Jesus is the Son of God. He is God's Son. God come in human flesh. He is Emmanuel, which means God with us. If we hesitate to believe that that's really what this name means or what this is trying to say about Jesus, that he is God come in the flesh, God with us, consider again the Great Commission at the end of Matthew. Jesus promises to be with us always. Always. Who promises to be with his people throughout scripture again and again and again? God does, right? God says, do not fear, I will be with you. That's a refrain throughout the Bible that God is going to be with his people, to care for his people, to protect his people. Well, here Jesus takes Yahweh's words on his own lips and he's claiming to be the God who is with us. So Jesus comes to bring God's presence Because he is God with us. And what does it mean that God would become man and dwell with men? what are the implications of the the incarnation, as it's sometimes called, right? When Jesus comes, he comes as a a vulnerable little baby in human skin. What does that mean? Well, it points to the goodness of creation. It it points to uh, the value of human life, that he would take on humanity come into the world to die for for human beings it it points even to the value of vulnerability and god's purposes Uh, jesus didn't come right into the world as a conquering king he came into the world as a little baby and do you ever feel like like life just seems to have no meaning do you feel lost in the cosmic picture of man coming from nothing and moving toward nothing what would it look like to have god present in your life the maker of heaven and earth, right? The one who knows all things, the one who's in control of all things, the one who who controls the sun and the moon and the stars, the one who knows the details of your heart to be with you. Do you ever long for that kind of meaning, that kind of, of, of presence in your life? You're longing for Jesus. You're feeling your need of him, the one who promises to be with his disciples always. God with his people, that's what gives us meaning and value in life. So Jesus comes to bring God's blessing, he comes to bring God's rule, he comes to bring God's presence, and he comes to bring God's salvation. He comes to save. You know, the angel says Jesus came to save his people from their sins. And that's a very specific thing, right, that the son of Abraham, the son of David, the son of God came to do. The angel says you shall call his name Jesus. Uh, Jesus is the, the, the Greek form of the Hebrew name Joshua, you may know, and, and uh He's possibly, right, throughout his life, he was actually called Joshua, right, or Yeshua. Not Jesus, which is the Greek version. Jesus is, is a new Joshua, like the Joshua in the Old Testament. You may remember Joshua in the Old Testament. He led God's people into the promised land, into their rest, defeating their enemies and bringing salvation. That's what Joshua did. That's what the new Joshua does. Jesus comes to save. He comes to bring salvation and to save means to, to rescue, right? To, to, to rescue someone out of something that's dangerous or difficult. But Jesus came to save us from what? What was so difficult? What was so dangerous? Well, the angel tells us. He came to save us from our sins. Well, why? What's, what's so dangerous about that? Well, what has our sin done? What does sin do? It separates us from God. It brings guilt and, and condemnation. It, it brings corruption to our hearts. It's made a mess out of our relationships and out of our world. So we need saving a lot more than we'd like to admit. And Jesus came to save us from our sin, to reconcile us to our Father, to forgive us for our sins, to renew our hearts, to unite all things together in him, to bring reconciliation uh, between men and, and renewal to the world. We need to be saved from our sin. And if you ever wrestle with, with feelings of guilt or shame, if you ever do things that you wish you hadn't done, right? If, you, if you've ever ruined a perfectly good relationship because of some uh, petty squabble, right? If you feel like the world, it just is not what it should be, then you're feeling your need for Jesus to come and save this world from sin. Jesus comes. He comes to bring God's blessing. He comes to bring God's rule. He comes to bring God's presence. He comes to bring salvation, and he comes to bring God's rest. Now, maybe this one is a little less obvious. Verse 1 begins, the genealogy of Jesus Christ. And the Greek word translated genealogy is where we get the word Genesis from. Matthew is saying, uh, this is the book of the Genesis of Jesus. Matthew is intentionally echoing the first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis um john does that you know john john 1 1 in the beginning was the word that echoes genesis 1 1 right in the beginning god well well matthew is doing something similar he's saying you know whereas genesis actually does have a whole bunch of genealogies in it he's saying well here's the genesis of jesus and he's not only echoing uh, genesis but but we have this long genealogy right this long genealogy in matthew which we read a moment ago it ends with verse 17 uh, verse 17 says, So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations. And from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations. And from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. What difference does it make? I mean, who cares if there were 14 generations or 32 generations, right? Why, why does it matter? Why three sets of 14? It's a good question, and, it, and it's, it's not intuitively obvious. Now, here's one possibility. You know, the Jewish people were, were concerned with numbers, right? Numbers had, had meaning to them, especially the number seven. The world was made in seven days. On the seventh day, God rested. The seventh day of every week, Israel was to rest in imitation of their God. Well, 14, right, is two times seven. I'm not very good at math, but I can, I can do that, right? 14, two times seven, So uh, Matthew is saying there are two weeks of generations between Abraham and David, right? Two weeks, two sevens of generations between David and the deportation. Two uh, weeks of generations between the deportation and the coming of Christ. That makes six weeks, right? Six uh, sevens. What comes after the sixth seven? Follow me. I know it's a lot of numbers. It's hard. But what comes after the sixth seven? The seventh seven, (laughs) All right, that's weird for us to think like that. But it's not weird for Israel. Uh, for Israel, every seventh day was a day of rest. Every seventh year was a special year of rest. But then you had the seventh seventh of years, which was a special year leading up to all, the, the year of all years, the 50th year, which was the great year in Israel's calendar, which was 50th year, right? Seven times seven plus one. It's the year of Jubilee, so, so Jesus comes. What does this have to do with him? Jesus comes, and he's the one who ushers in this, this, the, the day of rest. You have the seven days of creation, and then, boom, the final day, the day of rest. You have these, these, uh, the, the final week of history, so to speak, the final age before the great jubilee. In, in Jesus, as far as Matthew is concerned, we have the culmination of history, Uh, The one who brings history to its climax and will usher in the final rest for God's people. So the story of Jesus, it's not just the story of Abraham and Israel and David. It's not just the story of of male and female, Jew and Greek, sinner and saint. It's the story of all creation coming to its fulfillment. Matthew's telling us, look, history has been moving throughout this time. Day one, day two, day three, right? Now, Now we're finally, Jesus comes to bring us The rest that we need. We'll see this throughout the gospel as well. Uh, Jesus says that he's Lord of the Sabbath, the day of rest. Uh, Jesus invites the weary and heavy laden to come to him and find rest. Jesus offers rest to those who will come to him. A rest that surpasses the greatest rest that this world can offer. He offers rest from sin's guilt and rest from sin's curse and rest from sin's consequences and rest from the corruption of this world. He offers the hope of the final rest, that year of jubilee, that 50th year, so to speak, when we will be at complete rest, when sin will be no more. Do you you realize the toilsomeness of this world? Do you ever feel like life is restless, that there's this ceaseless race to keep up and stay on top? You're feeling your need of Jesus, who came to bring rest, to bring the great rest, the rest of all rests, right? To to usher in a new life, a new creation, a new rest, rest beyond this world, and yet a rest that we can experience in this world as we come to Jesus. This is the story that Matthew's telling, right? It's the story of Jesus, yet it's a story about all people, all the nations, male and female, Jew and Greek, sinner and saint, it's the story of Jesus coming to bring God's blessing, his rule, his presence, his salvation, and his rest. Jesus comes to make God's blessings known as far as the curse is found, as the song says. These blessings are for all who will be his disciples, according to Matthew. Anyone who is willing, however imperfectly, right to submit themselves to him and learn what it means to follow Jesus. Please pray with me. Our Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that he came into the world to bring your blessings, your manifold blessings. We pray that we would would follow him, that we would give our hearts to him, that we would rest in him. Father, we know how imperfect we are. We know how sinful we are. We know how how daily we, we, we forget to follow him and we follow our own hearts or we follow the world around us or we follow our friends rather than following Jesus. Father, we pray that you would forgive us and that you would pour out your spirit on us, that you would renew our hearts again, that we might again seek to follow him day by day, moment by moment, resting in him. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.